the average lifespan of a person in North America is about 25 million minutes. 25 million minutes. That's taking out the time that you will spend sleeping and I will spend sleeping. Some of you sleep less, some of you sleep more, so it varies a little bit. The average person in North America will be awake for 25 million minutes. And yet, even with all of that time, 25 million minutes, it is impossible to do everything that we want. There are countless ways that we could spend our time, but not nearly enough time to do it all. And this is why we are continually faced with decisions about how we will spend our time. Will you sleep in or will you get up early? Will you jump right into the day or will you ease into the day? Will you eat breakfast or dash out the door? How will you spend your commute? Will you listen to music? Will you listen to a podcast? Will you listen to an audio book? Will you sit in solitude? What about the evening? Will you make plans to get together with friends? Will you stay home and watch a movie? Will you get some chores done? Will you relax and rest? Will you retire early? Or will you continue working? What about the weekend? How will you invest your weekends? How will you invest your free time? All of these and more are questions that we are faced with every single day. And behind every decision like that that we make are values and priorities and desires. And our values and priorities and desires are upheld by our beliefs, the way we think about that which is important. Even the decisions about the way we spend our 25 million minutes are informed about what we believe to be important, that which we believe to be essential, which means we prioritize based on that which we feel is important, that which we think is important. And so let me ask you this morning, how do you prioritize your time? How do you keep from becoming distracted in a world that has all kinds of shiny things that tempt to distract us and tempt to make us look at all sorts of other things for our identity or for our pleasure or for the way to spend our 25 million minutes? How do we do that? And there are so many other things that can get in the way. And is there something that is more important? For us as Christians, is there something that is essential, something for which we cannot be without as we're prioritizing our day, as we're prioritizing our lives? Well, as Beth read for us already, our text this morning is all about answering that question. Is there something for which we cannot as Christians do without in our 25 million minutes? And if so, what is that? And how do we keep from becoming distracted by all kinds of other things? So if you haven't done so already, hopefully you all have, but follow along with me in Luke chapter 10. I want you to turn there if you have a Bible with you. If you choose to use one of the Bibles under the seat in front of you, we will be on page 869. Now the story of Mary and Martha is one of the more weller Weller-known, more well-known, how about that, weller-known, coined a new word. It's weller-known than other stories in the Bible. Uh, in fact, maybe you are familiar with the story of Mary and Martha. I received 
feedback from multiple different people even this week with a variety of different reactions like, oh, so you're preaching on Mary and Martha this week, huh? We all know the stories. Many of us know the story of Mary and Martha. It's written into Sunday school curriculum and children's storybook Bibles. But sometimes the story of Mary and Martha is wrongly interpreted. So before we get started, what I want to do is I want to just kind of want to diffuse some of the wrong ways that we could potentially interpret the story of Mary and Martha or some of the ways that it has been interpreted in the past. First, the point of these verses, the point of Mary and Martha is not that Mary is better than Martha. These verses were not inspired by the Holy Spirit to bash Martha for 2,000 years and still going, right? Like, don't be Martha, be like Mary. Martha's the bad sister, probably wears black. Mary's the good sister, wears white, right? She's don't be like them, the bad person and the good person, right? It's not the story. In fact, as we will see, Martha demonstrates great faith. She hosts Jesus, invites her into her home at a time in which few would. And later in Luke, when Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus dies, it's Martha that first goes to Jesus. It's Martha that demonstrates incredible faith in the Lord. And in fact, Martha is not even chastised for her serving of Jesus, but for something else. So the point of the story is not that Mary is better than Martha. Secondly, as we're disarming wrong interpretations, the point of these verses is not that listening is better than doing. Some have read these verses and wrongly concluded that listening is better than doing. In fact, many in the monastic movement throughout church history and even today build so much of their views on solitude and reflection From these verses, believing that it's better to sit in solitude, listening quietly to Jesus than it is in serving in the name of Jesus. And as we will see, both are important. But listening is not better than doing. In fact, as we just saw last week in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan was good because he actually did something. He served, he helped His faith was carried out through his hands, as James reminds us, faith without works is what? It's dead. So with that as our foundation, let's look at the text itself this morning. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Let's hit pause right there just for a second. The story begins with Martha inviting Jesus into her home. She is showing the same kind of care and hospitality that the Good Samaritan showed to the Jewish traveler. In fact, the way that she welcomes Jesus fits the description that we saw earlier in Luke 10 about someone who is faithful, specifically in verses four through 12 of Luke 10, someone who's truly hospitable, In fact, what she does for Jesus, her guest, is contrary to what the Pharisee in Luke 7 does. Remember when Jesus goes to the home of the Pharisee and he doesn't 
anoint Jesus' feet and he doesn't provide for Jesus. He doesn't do the basic things required for hospitality. He doesn't do that. Mary does. She's pulling out all the stops to welcome Jesus well. And now the camera moves to Mary's or Martha's sister Mary, verse 39. Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now the phrase here, to sit at someone's feet, meant to study with that person. It's the same thing you hear about today, maybe with musicians, when you're reading their bio and it says, well, they, they studied with or studied under so-and-so, or uh, doctoral students who uh, they graduated from so-and-so, they studied with this person, this expert in their field. That's what's going on here. Luke, and, or Luke tells us about Paul studying at the feet of Gamaliel in Acts chapter 22. That's the same phrase used here that is used of Mary who is now sitting at Jesus' feet. Which means we need to stop right here and just acknowledge how countercultural this would have been. In a culture in which women were not given much formal education at all, Jesus doesn't shoo Mary away to go do something else. He doesn't say, no, you, you shouldn't be sitting here. But Jesus welcomes Mary and even challenges Martha to come and to sit at his feet, to be his follower, to listen to him. Like, praise the Lord that throughout the history of the Christian church, the Lord has used men and he has used Faithful women, women who knew the word, who studied the word, who could correct false teaching, who could, who could, could disciple and teach and counsel through the word to help shape and form and make Christianity what it is today. Like, praise the Lord for that. And praise the Lord for the many women here at CCF who, who study the word and who dig in and who want to know the truths of the Lord that you might love him more and serve him more and teach others to do the same. Like, praise God for that. And all of this is going on while Martha is busy with preparations. Likely there is a meal about to take place and Martha is busy with all of the things that have to be done for the meal to be pulled off. Look at verse 40. But Martha, the camera's back on Martha, Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Just a few first few words of verse 40, Martha was distracted by much serving. It could be that Martha was trying to do way too much. You probably know what that's like. You try to do way more than you can handle, bite off more than you can chew. It could be that that's where Martha was, going overboard with lavish preparations that were well beyond her ability to pull off. It could be that Martha was consumed with getting every last detail just right. It could be that she was trying to impress Jesus. But it could be that her motivation was simply that she wanted Jesus to feel special. She simply wanted to honor his identity. But somewhere along the way, in all the preparations, her focus began to shift. Her attention began to change. 
the preparations began to outgrow the proper place that they were designed to have. Somewhere along the way, she began to focus more on everything being just right than on time spent with the one she was hosting. Somewhere along the way, she slowly became distracted. It's likely that she didn't even know she was distracted. Luke, as our author, functioning almost as a narrator from outside the scene, informs us as the audience that Martha was distracted in verse 40. We don't have any indication that Martha knew that she was distracted. Martha probably thinks she's just being an excellent hostess. This is likely why as she serves, works, and sweats, continues to pass by the room where her sister sits at the feet of Jesus. She grows more and more angry, more and more frustrated with this sister who is doing nothing. Now, we know that Mary is not doing nothing. But to Martha, she was. And when we think like Martha, we tend to think the same way, don't we? And it's interesting that one of the first signs that we have become distracted in our serving, distracted in our hospitality, distracted in our doing, is that we become very observant and very sensitized and very even consumed sometimes by who isn't serving, by who isn't doing their fair share. I guess I'll take care of this. I always have to do this. Everybody takes advantage of me. While they're out having fun, while they're out socializing, while they're out watching TV, here I am working because this has to be done, and if I don't do it, no one else will. Why don't they do more? Why is it that I always end up carrying more than my fair share? I won't even ask if you've been there. I think the overwhelming results would be self-incriminating. You see, it wasn't the serving that was the problem. It was being distracted by the serving. It was missing the most important thing for the immediate thing. This is immediate. I have to do this. It has to be done right now. And being so driven and consumed by that that she missed, as we do sometimes, that which is essential, that which is most important. The Greek word there for distracted is, is literally means to be pulled away. She was pulled away from the one necessary thing. She was pulled away from, as Jesus will say, the good portion. Martha was like the seed, the well-intentioned seed, I should add, in Luke chapter 8, that starts off well, but sooner or later is choked off by the weeds. And the weeds are just the cares and concerns of life. You see, Martha's delight in and attentiveness to Jesus is choked off by all the chores that needed to be done to make things just right to be an excellent hostess in her eyes. And once that weed of distraction, of self-pity, of majoring on the minors begins to grow, it doesn't end well. It only leads to more sin. 
Just notice in verse 40, for example, eyes on verse 40. Notice in verse 40 how Martha pulls Mary aside and says to her, Mary, um, I know you want to see Jesus. I do as well. There's a few more things that need to be done. It would be really helpful maybe if you could help me for a few minutes. We could do this together, and we could both go in and sit at Jesus' feet. You see that in verse 40, right? Oh, you don't see that. Oh, wait, neither do I. It's because she didn't do that, right? Mary goes passive aggressive here in verse 40. And she says, right, she even implicates the Son of God here in verse 40. Right? Look at the second part of verse 40. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Yikes. What an affront against the holy son of God. So much easier to spot in someone else, isn't it? And when she says, Lord, don't you care, we know what she really means is, Lord, you don't care. You don't care care that my lazy, irresponsible sister has, yet again, left me, the responsible one, with all the work. I mean, it seems that Martha has gone so far down the road of bitterness by now that she can't imagine Jesus knowing all of this and not telling Mary to get up and go help with the chores. And in so many ways, Martha here sounds like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Self-righteous, self-justifying, happy to point out the sins of another as he is fueled by bitterness and self-pity. In fact, even the way that Martha asks this question of Jesus, which really isn't a question we know because we do the same thing, don't we? But the way that this is, plays out in the Greek makes it clear that she fully expects Jesus to say to her, you are absolutely right, Martha. I don't know what happened. I completely forgot that you were out there serving and sweating and working all this time while Mary, lazy Mary, is just sitting in here finding an excuse to do nothing. Mary, get up. Get in there and help your sister. That's what she expects to happen. Oh, how well we justify or try to justify our own attitude and our own actions when we are distracted from that which is most important. How often we, like Martha, are quick to find the sins and the errors that we think, sins and errors and flaws in other people, and to want to pull somehow Jesus onto our side. Look at Jesus' response, verse 41. But the Lord answered her. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from. So in his response, Jesus takes sides here, and it's not Martha's side. But he doesn't blast Martha. 
It doesn't say, Martha, what are you thinking? Like, how could you be so dumb, Martha? How could you miss this, Martha? He doesn't say that. His response is firm but loving. Martha, Martha. In fact, in the Bible, using someone's name twice like this shows intimacy. It shows affection. Jesus is not harshly reacting to Martha out of righteous anger. He is clearly and gently calling her out of her sin into something better. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. You see, the problem is, Well, I should say the problem isn't that Martha is serving. The problem is that she is distracted by her serving. And in being distracted by her serving, she has become anxious and troubled. She's missing, Jesus says, the one necessary thing. Which is really what this parable is all about. This parable is not first and foremost, it is not primarily, listen to this, this is really important, this parable is not primarily about how to be a good host or hostess. Sometimes it's interpreted that way, and that is not the primary purpose of this. The primary purpose of this parable is to teach us and remind us and call us out of our sin and call us out of our distraction to the one essential Thing, the one necessary thing, the good portion that Jesus is referring to. It may have implications for hospitality, but those are secondary. The primary application for us today as we read this text and hear this text is that we not miss the one necessary thing. What is the one necessary thing? What is the good portion as Jesus says here in verse 42? Well, in the Old Testament, there are multiple times that the Lord of heaven reveals himself to his people as their good portion. For example, we see it in Psalm 16, we see it in Psalm 73, we see it in Psalm 119 and other places. Places where the Lord reveals himself to his people and tells them that he is their portion their very great reward, or that he is their good portion, or that he is their portion forever, or that he is their life-giving portion, which makes it clear that the good portion, the one necessary thing, is the Lord himself. Like Martha's distraction wasn't a distraction from rest or a distraction from listening or a distraction because she was a workaholic. Martha's problem was that she was distracted from the Lord, that she missed the good portion. And in missing the good portion, in missing Jesus, she missed everything. Everything else was out of alignment. Tom Schreiner writes, serving is good and necessary, but Martha has lost the truth that all service must flow out of one's relationship with the Lord. That all service must be rooted in the joy of knowing God as one's treasure and one's pleasure. The story of the Good Samaritan is misunderstood if it is sundered 
from a living or separated or torn from a living and vital relationship with the one true God. You see, Martha is distracted by all of the things that could be done to serve Jesus, and in the process, she misses Jesus. J.C. Ryle put it like this, her excessive zeal for temporary provisions temporary tasks, made her forget for a time the things of her soul. And she was like the Pharisees who faithfully tithe just the right amount of all their garden herbs and yet neglect the love of God. She missed the distinction between all the good things that she could be doing and the one necessary thing for which she could not live without. The good portion is Jesus. And choosing the good portion is choosing to prioritize sitting at his feet, being with Jesus. Which means first, being a child of God. It means confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died in our place on the cross for our sin That he was raised from the dead on the third day and now rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And that all who confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead are made new. As we turn by faith, trusting in him alone for our salvation. Even as we heard from Chesney this morning, the the amazing, saving, transforming, life-giving work of God. It begins there. But this act of choosing the good portion is a daily act, isn't it? It's a daily joy and responsibility of the Christian to say, today I will choose time with the Lord. Today I will choose time in his word. Today I will choose time in prayer. Today I will choose setting aside other things that are good things. Maybe even church things. Maybe even things that serve the body of Christ. If they are distracting me, I'm spending some time with Jesus. It is it is convicting and it is discouraging and it is challenging even just to pick on my own vocation for a minute. The numbers of pastors just in our country alone Tens of thousands every year who leave and walk away from ministry and some of them deny the very Christian faith. Many of them because somewhere along the way, way upstream, years before, they began to become distracted by so many good things they could do to serve Jesus. They neglected actually spending time with Jesus simply for the nourishment of our soul. That is a danger, is it not? For us as Christians. To be busy about all the things that need to do, that need to be done. And miss out on the one necessary thing, the good portion, Jesus himself. A good question to ask 
of this text is why does Luke place this text here? This may have chronologically happened in this way. It may not have. But our point isn't where exactly this fits chronologically with the events that come before and after. We remember that Luke's purpose is to write so that we may have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. So the Holy Spirit is leading him to write, sometimes chronologically, but sometimes the gospel writers write thematically. And notice what comes right before. You remember that we looked last week at the parable of the Good Samaritan, which begins by a teacher questioning Jesus about what must be done to inherit eternal life. And Jesus, remember, he gives the gold star to this man who rightly acknowledges, as Jesus will acknowledge later, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. And then the parable of the Good Samaritan is focused at that that second of those two commands about how we love our neighbor well. And I almost imagine Luke, as he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, thinking to himself, okay, but we need to communicate clearly that any loving of our neighbor has to flow out of loving the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does it look like to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? It begins with sitting at the feet of Jesus. It begins with listening to Jesus. It begins with time spent with Jesus. And to put it into one sentence, listening to Jesus is at the center of discipleship. It is the source from which everything else flows. Or to put it another way, theologian David Garland writes, listening to the teaching of Jesus is the most important component of discipleship because it determines how one should serve. And I would even add, it determines the way, not just how, but the way in which one should serve. So let me just ask some questions. Get your, help apply these verses to our own hearts. First question would be this, am I more inclined to serve or to spend time with Jesus? Do I find just naturally, I just want to do things. It's easier for me to do. I have a hard time spending 15 minutes in prayer because I'm thinking about all the things I could be doing to serve the Lord. All good things. But not the one necessary thing. Second question, does my schedule and the priorities that it reflects show that I rightly choose the one necessary thing? What one or two things in my life, in your life, most commonly distract us from the Lord? Is it a hobby, a job, an interest, a person, a relationship? It's good to identify those things that have outgrown the proper biblical place they are to hold and begin to kind of squeeze out our time with the Lord, our time with the good portion. Are my times with Jesus defined by simply trying to get through a reading plan or a prayer list? Or do I slow down and meditate on scripture and the Lord in prayer? Sometimes Bible reading itself, sometimes prayer itself can be a distraction if it's done the wrong way. Not that 
Those things are bad at all. But I think this is a call to, through the Holy Spirit's power, evaluate our heart. Evaluate our heart. Is there an area in which, in my life, where much serving has become a distraction from time with Jesus? How may I make changes today that reflect choosing the one necessary thing? You see, if you are in Christ, if you have repented of your sin and are trusting in Jesus Christ, as you kind of looked over those questions, more than likely, you would say, you know what, I don't think I'm getting an A in some of these areas. In fact, probably all of us could say that. And the great news of even the parable, or not the parable, but the true story of Mary and Martha, is that Jesus does not hammer Martha. He doesn't cut off Martha because she got it wrong. But he gracefully and lovingly calls her back, Martha, Martha, you are concerned, anxious about many things. Which is so true, isn't it? When the one right thing, the one necessary thing, the good portion, is missing We should expect anxiety to come. We should expect fear to come. We should expect to be troubled because we're not in alignment with how God has designed us to function. Jesus doesn't write her off. Praise the Lord. He doesn't say, forget it. From now on, I'm going to just focus on Mary. He doesn't do that. But he gracefully and lovingly calls her back. And the grace of Jesus Christ for us is that when we fail, when we miss the one essential thing day after day, when we fail to spend time with the good portion, there's grace as we get up again and refocus. As we get up again and say, Lord, help me. I love the way this statement ends to Martha. Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Like how true that statement is. And the longer we live, the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we know that to be true, don't we? And the closer we get to the grave, the more this is a true comfort. I was just talking with a, a saint between services who is older than I am and talking about some of her health concerns and, and sicknesses and things she has going on. And, and she just looked at me, right? She's got a lot of health problems. Looked at me with shining eyes and says, but this is temporary. Because the good portion will not be taken away from her. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus for those of us who are in him? Nothing. Nothing. And separate us. This is our comfort. Our health can be taken. Our money can be taken. Our property can be taken. Our jobs can be taken. Our reputation even can be taken. But for those who have repented and are trusting in Jesus, he is our good portion. He is the one necessary thing that cannot be taken away from us. He is our hope. He is our ballast, regardless of what tomorrow may bring. Regardless of what Russia may do, regardless of what happens in the stock market, regardless of what the doctors say, he is the good portion which will not be taken away from his own. So that we can say in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And when I am alone, 
give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. He is the good portion. He is the one necessary thing. Let's pray.